And welcome back to the next two episodes of North and Goal. We're gonna we're gonna retroactively cover last weekend this week because we took a little bit of a hiatus. But my name is Benji. I am the Alaskuton. I'm not the Alaskuton. I'm Alaskuton on Twitter. And uh, with me, as always, is my brilliant co-host. <laughs> I'm Jake. I am the Mighty Alaskan Ute. I, I will I will accept it. I am the rather than a Mighty Alaskan Ute. I am the Mighty Alaskan Ute. <laughs> On Twitter, and yeah, we apologize about last week. We had some uh, technical difficulties in the fact that I was out of town, and we couldn't find a way to record this baby from Florida. We tried, but you know, we just had technical issues. It couldn't couldn't get it done. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, looking back, it's all for the best because I I would have been a downer last week. I would have just been like, it would have been like hosting a podcast with Eeyore, the donkey that has his tail pinned to him. And yeah, no one wants that. Yeah, no, it was it was a good week for you to take off. That's for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah. you know, we're back this week. We're both in good moods, and so it should be a, should be a good good time. Yeah the the theme of the week for me, winning fixes everything. Because what I would have said last week, I would have been uh, doom and gloom and said, "Listen, this coaching staff has had their chances. They've had enough opportunity." It's time to part ways. Like I was there, and and I think the majority of the fan base was there, saying, you know, Kalani, we love him and truly, truly love him like no other coach we've ever had. Love him, embrace him. Would love to find some way to just keep him on the staff in the program, find a position for him, keep him in his dream location if it's not his dream position, and and let's find a way to get better, you know, moving forward. Um, uh, I'm I'm kind of over that, and I think most of the fan base has said, okay, you know, he figured it out. That's what we expected. So, hey, winning fixes everything. That was a good win. It was a fun win. It was an impressive win. And I, in my opinion, he, he bought himself some more time. It's, it's I'm not going to say absolutely for sure let's extend him, but, hey, let's see how the rest of the season goes. Let's not do any in-season firings or anything like that. Let's give him some time to run the program. If he sees fit to fire people, great. But let's let him run the program the rest of the year, and, and uh, we'll talk then. Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned, I think, last podcast, not last week, obviously, because there was no podcast, but the last podcast you said that it's basically – Fire Sataki or extend Sataki after every game. You know, there's every either, single game. You're either <laughs> we're firing him or we're extending him. And and dude, you got it. You got to admit, it's been a very bizarre outcome. You're three and four. Yeah. And if you would have told me your three wins were USC, Tennessee, and Boise, and, and the four losses were Utah, Washington, Toledo, and South Florida, I'd be like, that's crazy way to get there. But that's where you're sitting, man. Three and four. The the only. Okay, the only two weeks because I gotta defend the fan base because we'd seem like a little bit of a what like just crazy bipolar fan base if that's all you knew about us. But okay, after the Washington game, that's an understandable loss. Nobody was saying let's fire Sataki after the Washington game, and also the Utah game. I mean, yes, we would love, love, love to beat Utah. That would have been so nice. But Utah is better than they've ever been before, and it's understandable and it's forgivable. So. Those two games being the exception, uh, we're not going to overreact. With the without those two games, every single win and every single loss has been like that should not have happened. You know, it's been that crazy. Like when you win a game you're really not supposed to win, you say, "Oh, we got to keep this guy forever." And then when you lose a game to a team that you're really not supposed to lose, it's like, "What are we doing with these scrubs?" So it it makes sense that this year it'd be a, a very extreme overreaction after just about every game. It is. It's crazy though if you think about it, because it's like 
Toledo and USF both got blown out by other crappy teams last week. It's yes. like you're beating ranked teams, good ranked teams, but then the teams you've lost to, it's like, what the bleep are, are you losing to them for? You know, it's like, I've never seen a year like this. I'm not kidding. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to no. lie. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I've never been a part of anything like this as a fan. And I was thinking, okay, if you were to ask the average fan, would you rather, would you trade the good wins for the bad losses? Would you rather have the schedule make more sense? Man, I'm, I'm burping. I'm drinking my Diet Pepsi to, to get me amped up for this podcast. Uh, would you rather trade them? Would you rather reverse them? No, absolutely not. Because the thing is, you'll find this on like Pinterest and like flowery Instagram posts and things like that. It's not about the number of breaths you take. <laughs> it's about the number of moments that take your breath away. Dude, this is this is stuff that we provide. We provide vinyl quotes <laughs> for your walls. You know. Yes, because that's the thing. When you're looking back, when it's like ten years from now, you're gonna remember those super super highs. You and maybe you'll remember the lowest of lows too. But this season is providing those. This season is providing memories. This season is providing moments of joy. So I I welcome it. You know, I mean, obviously, I'd rather do without the stupid losses. But man, I've been I've had more happy, crazy, celebratory moments with my kids this year than than I do on most years. There've been some really fun wins. God bless Independence. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, so let's uh let's 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 look back at both weeks. We've started with BYU. Yes. I think the last two podcasts. So we'll start with Utah. Um, as mentioned, right. I was out of town. I actually was able to catch a game with Twitter legend Forty Uter uh, two weeks ago yeah, against Caleb Oregon himself. State. Caleb, Caleb himself. Here's the funny thing, though. Okay, so he called because it was on the Pac-12 Network the game against Oregon State. So we wanted to make mm. sure the sports bar we went to had that network. So he called around, called around, found one that said, yes, we have it. And he said, well, let me talk to your manager because this is, it's a hard network to get. So he talked to the manager, was on hold for like 10 minutes while they double-checked and they kept, yep, we got it. We got the Pac-12 network. You'll be good. So he made a reservation. We show nice. up at the sports bar. They put us at our table and they start flipping the channels and we notice it's direct TV. Which doesn't have the oh. Pac-12 network, yeah. And which so, is like a recent thing, right? Or, uh, no, or am I ne- thinking of direct, something else? No, Directv's never had the Pac-12 network. It's a joke. Anyway, oh, I don't okay. want to get into that. It's a freaking joke. Anyway, yeah. so we're like, oh crap, that's Pac-12 network. Turns out, so the, we know what's going on that they don't have it, right? The waiter comes. Waiter comes back to us like ten minutes later. He's got to look on it. Says, guys, I I'm so sorry. We, we screwed this one up. We don't have the Pac-12 Network. But the good news for you is drinks are on the house. And I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb, Caleb's drinking a Diet Coke. It's like, oh, dude, thanks for saving us three bucks. That's freaking fantastic. You know, obviously they were thinking we'll comp all these guys beers, right? But So drinks are on the house at yeah, Sports yeah, Bar. Yeah. So we're like, what the crap do we do? So we got out our cell phones. And we streamed the, okay. the game while we're sitting there in the sports bar on our little cell phones. And we're we're in Florida, and it was during the Gator LSU game, right? So the sports bar uh-huh. is packed with LSU or with Florida fans going nuts. And me and Caleb are sitting at a table in the corner, huddled around our cell phones, watching Utah versus Oregon State cheering occasionally. We did catch the eye of one of the Gator fans, though. He looked over at us. He gave us a head nod. He said, "I see what you guys are doing. I respect it." I respect it. So we got the respect yeah. of, a, of an SEC fan. Anyway, so that's how we partook in the Oregon State Utah game. Was our on our cell phones in a sports bar with a with a with, with the game on. But dude, that's awesome. it, 
it was uh, it was an, an absolute ass kicking that game. Um, we won fifty two mm-hmm. to seven. The only reason they even scored seven was because it was garbage time touchdown. But our offense was incredible that game. Uh, came out three straight touchdowns in the first quarter, twenty one nothing in the first like eight minutes, and we just dominated that game. So on the road, Oregon State's not good. But we did what a good team should do, dominate. So, boom, moved on. Okay, so then last week yeah. was an anticipated matchup with two ranked teams, Utah, Arizona State. Weather sucked, cold and rainy. In, everyone was in ponchos and terrible. And uh, it was it was an interesting game because this, you look at the score, you see 21-3. Pe- I mean, most people probably didn't see it. Like, oh, okay, 23, Utah won. That's good. That, they beat him pretty soundly. But it was more like a 38-3 to butt-kicking because we just had so many untimely turnovers. We had four turnovers. First one was like the second play of the game. It was a swing pass to Zach Moss. Got down inside the 20, got tackled and fumbled. Next one, we're down inside the 10-yard line. Fumble from Demari Simpkins. So we had so many opportunities and, and breaks go their way that prevented it from being a 35-3 to or 38-3 to game. But, dude, I've never seen a defensive performance like the Utes put on this last game against Arizona State. It was freaking incredible. Their quarterback had a 4 QB rating. Not 40, which yeah. is terrible. <laughs> a 4. He was 4 for 18 for 25 total freaking yards. We shut him down. Uh-huh. We sacked him time and time again. We knocked balls down. They did not move... Dude, the only reason they had three points is because they got a turnover inside the red zone, and that's where they got the three points from. Um, another time we turned over inside the red zone, we pushed them back out, and they missed a field goal. So, like, it was just an incredible defensive performance. We talked all offseason about how this would probably be the best U defense ever. And, dude, looking at it, it's it's all come to fruition. We're currently the fourth-ranked defense in the country, total defense, scoring defense, third down stops, all top five, six in the country. And they're just they're just amazing. I've, I've never seen a defense this nasty, dude. They have dudes all over the field, on the D-line, the linebackers, the safeties, the cornerbacks. Everybody is is playing lights out. And, dude, it's, it's fun to watch. So, yeah, so we've – Put them away. And there's this one part of the game that I wanted to highlight that was just incredible, okay? So if you recall last year, we were rolling Mm -hmm. last year. uh, I think we were 7-1 or no, 7-2. Rolling last year. We go into Arizona State. What happens? Tyler Huntley breaks his collarbone out for the year. Zach Moss gets injured that same week. We lose to them, lose our two best players, um, and, and it was just devastating. This game... All of a sudden, the Utes are driving. Tyler Huntley's hobbling, laying down on the ground, and limps off the field. I was like, oh, my gosh, not freaking again. Next play, a swing pass mm-hmm. to Zach Moss. He gets knocked out head-to-head, helmet concu- or helmet-to-helmet. He looked like he got a concussion or whatever, went off the field. And it was, like, devastating. Mm-hmm. It was, like, two freaking years in a row. We lose these guys to this team. In comes our backup quarterback. Doesn't look good. It's fourth and nine. We're on the 30-yard line. People are antsy. People are angry, yelling, and boom. In hobbles, Mr. Tyler freaking Huntley, like a knight, like a white knight on a shining horse, baby. He comes in, completes a fourth and nine pass for first down, and then Zach Moss comes in, and everyone's like freaking out. The place is going crazy. Oh my gosh, I'm hugging my brother. I'm like crying almost, and he pounds it in for a touchdown, and boom, it was the most like movie. It was like a movie, bro. It was incredible, yeah. and it was like in your face. You can't knock us out. Boom, we took the lead 14 nothing, and it was. At that point, I was like, dude, I just wanted to just sit down and just weep, you know? So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was quite a moment. I actually, so I, I only caught, 
like maybe the first quarter of the Oregon State game because uh, I'll be honest from from a, like my point of view it was super boring. Oregon State was not good, so I tuned out after the when it wasn't exciting anymore. Uh, I watched the entire Arizona State game though because that was one I was interested in. From my point of view, seeing the hatred going back and forth both ways between the fans, I thought, all right, I gotta I gotta see what this is all about. So super exciting game, and I legit like I don't like Utah. I felt terrible when Huntley went down. I thought this this individual, regardless of what he says about the team I love, he's an, he's a person. He's a he's someone. He's a human. I can care about a human. I felt so bad for him because it looked like his injury did not look like it was a dirty play at all. It looked like, you know, he got landed on the wrong way. He was making extra effort. You know, I'm not going to go after ASU for his injury. Just felt bad. You know, it, it wasn't great. Zach Moss is, on the other hand, it's like, man, that guy, he's either an idiot or he's dirty. And and I'll allow him the choice he can claim which one he is. He either went out of his way to injure somebody or just in the heat of the moment said, "Oh crap, this guy's coming at me. I got to tackle him." And panicked and got jumpy and and hit him in the head, you know? And it's a sport that play it happens very fast. I'm not going to say outright he's dirty. it it was a dirty play. And, and he apologized after the game about it, you know, I think as a human he's probably not a terrible despicable person because he came out with the apology, but either way, you look at that and say, "Come on, man. What why are you doing that? What you do? and you know, it felt just bad for Zach Moss now. Um thought it was really impressive that he came back. Usually rarely do you see a player come back in the game after they get hit in the head and leave the game. Yeah, I mean I was- it almost never happens. I was surprised by that as well, um, especially because you look at the replay. It was, it's. I mean, that's the type of hit that football is trying to get rid of. It was a brutal right. helmet to helmet, right to the side of his helmet. His head totally whipped back when he got hit. It's like, dude, he's totally yeah. got a concussion. But I, I was surprised he came back in. I don't know what tests they did on the sidelines, or whatever. But apparently, he passed enough to come back in, and I'm glad he did because yeah. later in the game, as you know, he was trying to set the record for the Utah rushing all-time leading rusher. Um, he had been kind of stifled a little bit in in and then his last run or the last touchdown of the game, he he got it. It was a 32-yard touchdown run, broke the record, became the all-time leading rusher and it came on an awesome play. So I'm glad he get, he was able to come yeah, back in. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know health-wise what happened, but you, a, don't, I am, you don't I'm technically a doctor. <laughs> technically you are. Yeah, so, you, you are you're a doctor of teeth. So, yeah. the teeth are part of the head. So tell me what, what Exactly. What are your thoughts? So, here's one of the tests they do. There's a couple tests they do. And so one, you know the uh how many fingers am I holding up? Uh-huh. The the answer doesn't matter. What they do when they say how many fingers am I holding up is they're moving their hand and they want to see that both eyeballs are tracking together. Because one of the evidences of con- <laughs> one of the concussion evidences is that if one eyeball is following something and the other is not following it at the same time or the same way. And so that's one of the tests they do. The other is you can shine a light. Like if you cover somebody's eye and you only shine a flashlight in one eye, the opposite pupil will dilate and uh, constrict kind of corresponding with what the other eye is seeing. But when you have a concussion, they don't. You could shine a flashlight in one eye and the other eye is not going to respond. And so there are some definitive tests where they say, you know what, if his eyes are behaving the way they should, he's he's good to go. So oh. he must have passed or somebody should lose their job. <laughs> but yeah, but right. I, I would imagine he passed. Yeah, right. And you know what? He came back in and immediately scored a touchdown, like shoved it down their freaking throat, and it was awesome. Um, and see, mm-hmm. that kind of insight you just provided, you don't get that at other podcasts. You don't get doctors <laughs> That's right. That's like right. you giving us some tests like that. But here's the thing. You mentioned a little bit ago that, that ASU and Utah fans don't like each other, and it's 
it's a legit thing. I've said before on this podcast that I hate ASU more than all other Pac-12 teams. They're just, mm-hmm. just something about them I hate. They're just... I can't even describe it, but it was it was a chippy game. There were a lot of personal fouls. There were a lot of fights. And I, I, if you've been following on Twitter since then, there's been a lot of trash talk between Utah and Arizona State fans. And yeah. you know what's funny is you see a lot of people say, I've seen Arizona State fans say this too, okay, I now hate Utah as much as I hate Arizona. And then Utah fans yeah, are like, yeah, yeah. okay, I now hate Arizona State fans as much as I hate BYU. It's it's so, uh-huh. it's funny that we use those benchmarks to, to, to justify, okay, wow, that guy must really hate him if he hates him as much as that team, you know. Um, but I do, dude, I hate Arizona State. I think it started early on when they just kind of owned us when we first got in this conference and beat us, and we couldn't beat them. And now there's mm-hmm. there's a little budding rivalry there, so it's been uh, it's, it was fun to freaking beat them, baby, because I hate them. Yeah, well, if you were to just look at the demographics of of the uh, populations, Arizona State, it's a people don't realize this. It's a huge school as far as the number of student body. There's a lot of students that go there. Yeah, I believe it's, it's the largest it's, in the country, right? Like pop, like student. It, it could wise? be, yeah. I think in the 50 like, or 60, UCF was also up like there, but yeah, and and it's in practically Phoenix, like Tempe. It's not that far from Phoenix, so you got a, a huge population, a lot of people, and it has a reputation for being a party school. It's warm all the time; people can just kind of do their outside barbecues, <laughs> and maybe that's not the party <laughs> that, that they're talking about. But but yeah, it's a, a drinking kind of a party atmosphere. And if you were to ignore, like, say there was no BYU. Utah would then be the school at the P5 level that kind of has the opposite reputation. There's just a lot of good kids <laughs> that, right. that go to Utah. Exactly. And so you could kind of see some natural built-in opposite life philosophies maybe conflicting. I don't think that's where it stems from. I think that's kind of an interesting side note. Yeah, and in addition to that, there's a couple other things. We, we're both in the same time zone. Well, except during daylight mm-hmm. savings time. So we're kind of close regionally. Also, it's a former WAC rivalry. Arizona, Arizona State yeah. used to be in the WAC, and we've played them dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. Um, and so when Arizona State left the WAC for the Pac-12 in the 70s, you know, there, there were, there's history there. So it's – I mean, it's not like it just was manufactured. It's There's legit history, and, and the teams don't like each other. Plus, lately, we've gone head-to-head for a lot of recruits, um, specifically uh-huh. this starting quarterback they had, Jaden Daniels. He was all but coming to Utah, at least we were led to believe, all along. And then Arizona State got in at the very end and got him to got him to go there. And so there's a lot of like bad blood there. Also, Eno Benjamin, their starting running back, was also kind of leading Utah as well. And so there's a, there's a lot of reasons that that uh, that contribute to it. But the fact is, I don't we don't like them and they don't like us. So it felt good to to beat them down. Yeah. Plus, you know, you have Patrick Kinahan, local PK from the radio, who's an Arizona State guy who's always running his mouth and. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, yeah. wrap that thing up. It felt good to win. Uh, big win, 21 to 3. We beat the spread. Spread was 14. And everyone's like, wow, why are they favored by so much? We, you know, ended up winning by 19. So that was good. And now, yeah. uh, basically, hey, yeah. We got to jump in. We got to dissect one more play because I dug up some interesting trivia that both fan bases will think, hey, that's, that's something. And thanks to our friend, Ute Believer, friend of the program. He yep. pointed this out in a thread I got involved in. So you remember the the kickoff, the uh, yes. where they rather than dropping yes, back actually, into normal I kick I was coverage, gonna, I was going to bring that up. That was actually, right. in my opinion, the, the crappiest play of the game, the cheap cheapest play of the game. You yeah. mentioned the, the set hit that up on Zach for us. Moss. Okay, so you mentioned the hit on Zach Moss, which was which was a football play. I mean, he was going for a tackle. He just viciously hit his head. So what happened yeah. on the kickoff? Is typically if you watch on a kickoff, they'll kick it off, and all the team, the kickoff team will rush their lanes, 
and then they'll kind of engage 15, 20 yards downfield with a blocker, right? Well, on this one uh. play, uh, after I believe it was after the touchdown to Zach Moss, I believe it was either that or the first one. Anyway, on the one play, the they they kicked it off, and the up men instead of falling back and then engaging 15, 20 yards downfield, they ran forward as fast as they could and collided with Solomon Enos four yards after the kickoff. If you watch the replay, you can't really tell, but from a different angle, Enos wasn't even looking up. He had his head down as he's trying to pick up steam and didn't even see the guy. And right. he, bam, collided right there, and both of them got injured and knocked the knocked you know laying down for a little while. But you look at the replay; they tried mm. it on another another player three three yards or three players over, but he didn't connect with the guy. But it was a total deep, dirty garbage play that their whole point was to knock the player out, not to block to set up for the touchdown. And you could tell because. They went. I mean, you don't see it happen in football ever. A block like that, where no. the up men go immediately and rush the 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 kickoff team. And I mean, it was it was ugly. It was dirty. Here's here's the thing where I and I'm don't I'm not justifying that action because it, it my logic here does not match up with what they did. I love innovation, as you know. And if it's legal, if it's within the rule book, within and and you try something new that no one's ever seen before, I generally applaud that. The time in the case where I would like a play like that would be if on film you had said, you know what, on kickoffs, these three players account for ninety-five percent of the tackles, so let's take them out early. And that would be that would be an awesome thing because you'd be like, wow, we just we just gave ourselves a little bit more of a cushion. That's not the case, and and so that's the thing is that's what I was I kind of got into a thread and was saying, well, what about this? What about this? Uh, Solomon Enos had not been a dynamic, like explosive, unstoppable force on kick coverage. It wasn't about strategy. It to me, it looked like it was about payback or revenge or you know he threw a block in the end zone that they didn't like, so they went after him, and that's not cool at all. However. They didn't break any of the rules, and if it were for a strategic advantage saying, all right, we're going to try something different, we're going to throw a different wrinkle about him, I would love that. But but I'm not sticking up for him or defending them because, yeah, he had his head down, and it looked like they clearly went after him. Furthermore, what is the name, if, if you know, I've, I know it if you don't, of Arizona State's special teams coach? Uh, it was... Uh... Uh, shoot, I, I saw it the other day. I can't, I can't think of it off the top. Yeah, because this is what Ute Believer brought to the table. Sean Slocum. Okay. Now, yeah. any B- BYU fans out there listening, does the name Slocum ring a bell at all? The only Slocum I can Slocum. think of is is uh, is Demarlo Slocum, which is an ex Ute assistant football basketball coach that coaches at Arizona State. But anyway, sorry, go, go, go. For yeah, it. the the name Slocum, specifically RC Slocum, lives in infamy among BYU fans, dating all the way back to the 1990 Holiday Bowl against Texas A&M. That was the game. Going into it, because I did a little reading up on this because I was nine at the time it happened, and uh, and I remember the game. I remember feeling angry during that game. I was really, really mad at that game. Apparently, Texas A&M justified what they did because of kind of the same thing, the same reason Ute fans, in addition to being rivals, don't like BYU, is there's a little bit of a a hype machine. And I had no idea that this was a national hype machine even back in 1989. But going into the Holiday Bowl, everybody was talking about BYU. They were kind of like the exciting Boise State before Boise State was a thing. You know, they had the nation talking about them. Wow, they're doing all this crazy stuff. Look at them. And BYU had... Uh, foolishly said something to the effect of 
man, I wish we had a ranked opponent. Why are you putting us against Texas A&M? Like, we deserve better. And that is not what you want to do going into a bowl game is say, come on, you're making us play these guys. Give us a real opponent. Texas A&M used that as bulletin board material like crazy, and they were fired up. They came into this game angry with a chip on their shoulder. They separated Ty Detmer's left shoulder in the second quarter, and he stayed in the game because, you know, if you're right-handed, what do you need a left shoulder for? So he kept playing. Got knocked uh, down again in the third quarter, separated his right shoulder. So offseason, he had to have both shoulders repaired. Texas A&M ended up winning this game 65-14, to which I can stomach. You can get blown out and, and not complain about it. You know, you got to take your, take your beatings and whatever the saying is. The, they were running gadget plays and trick plays in the fourth quarter when they already had this insurmountable lead, when BYU's star quarterback is already out. It was as classless of a game as I can remember ever witnessing. It's actually, at the time, I don't know if we've actually surpassed that or not, it was the worst loss, the worst margin of loss in BYU's program history. So, yeah, I hear the name Slocum, and I don't get a lot of kind feelings. Sean Slocum is the son of R.C. Slocum. There's a little father-son connection there. So when you fans say this special teams coach did something dirty to try and get an advantage, he was trying to take people out and injure them, and that's who it is, yeah, I'm on board. All of BYU can get behind that saying that man is not a good man. Yeah, okay, good. We're united in in this cause then. Um, Part of it, dude, dude, I think part of the reason, I don't know why they were hunting Enos. I do know that he was from the Phoenix area, and he was the top-rated receiver in the state of Arizona uh-huh. and he left and came to Utah. So I don't know if there was some bad blood with some of the teammates there or whatever the case was, but dude, it wasn't a normal football play. You talk about innovation, trying to get an edge. There was no, there's that's not getting an edge when you're knocking someone out like that, especially you've seen how they're trying to basically diminish kickoffs. Anyway, moved them back five yards. Yeah. Now you can fair catch it. I dude, the, I think the kickoff's going to go the way of the dinosaur at some point. I think and so. It's, and it's things like this too. I mean, that's a full speed collision head to head that, that is just mm-hmm. it's dangerous, and it was a bush bush league call, and I'm I'm glad Arizona State lost. Screw those guys. Boom. Anyway, all right. Yeah. So let's let's uh, move on to your uh, your mighty Cougars. It was amazing. Okay, and I'll be honest. I'm going to be brutally honest. After watching the entire Utah game versus Arizona State and seeing as impressive a defensive performance as I've ever seen, and then you take a quick, what, 20, 30-minute break, get some snacks, and then the BYU game starts. Watching Boise State march down the field and score on their opening kickoff, it was just brutal to see that and see the difference between what a truly top-five impressive, solid defense looks like and then seeing our guys allow them to just score on the opening drive without any, I mean, they didn't do anything crazy. There was no trick plays. There was no, nothing like, whoa, that was a brilliant move. They just scored at will. And so halfway through the first quarter, I thought, we're in trouble. This is going to be a long night. And it, given the way the past two games had gone, it wasn't shocking or surprising. I wasn't like angry. I thought, well, yeah, here we go, more of the same. But then to see the offensive drive, you know, BYU comes out, does the exact same thing to them, marches down the field at will. Baylor Romney, First start, not a scholarship player, you know, a walk-on, comes on, and and he does all right. And I thought, okay, maybe this won't be a blowout. Maybe they'll make this an interesting game. But, you know, hats off to him. Baylor Romney, I'd, I'd give him a solid 8 out of 10 on that. I mean, he had quite a few passes that he was just underthrown. He didn't make any stupid decisions. He never panicked. He didn't throw any interceptions. He didn't drop the ball, no fumbles. I mean, he did 
for a walk-on player, phenomenally. I mean, he had a really good performance given who he is and, and kind of where BYU had assessed what his value was preseason. So, man, hats off to him. Game ball to him because he didn't screw the pooch. I mean, he came in, he showed up, he did his job, and, and he did it well. And like I say, it wasn't perfect. I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, whatever quarterback rating through the roof. I mean, he had some he had some bad passes. He didn't have any stupid bad passes, though. So I was really happy with that. Um, yeah, what else we talk about? Oh, yeah, the National, I hated seeing this. The I think it was the Athletic afterwards was like, Boise State, without their quarterback and running back, falls to BYU. And, oh, man, as a BYU fan, you see that and you're like, give me a break. I mean, I will admit. They're a different team without those guys, and likely if they had their QB1 and their running back didn't go down in the second quarter, maybe the outcome would have been different for them. But we were without our QB1. We were without our QB2. We were without our running back one, our running back two. We were without our best linebacker, and three members of our offensive line were out. One of our offensive line was a true freshman making his first start ever. I mean, if you just look apples to apples on the injury front, like – yeah, full-strength Boise State would have been a good team. Full-strength BYU would be an amazing team. I mean, that full-strength BYU is who we saw beat USC. Like, let's not say that Boise State lost this because of injuries. That cuts both ways. Yeah, dude, at this point in the season, everyone's got injuries. And I, you're right, I don't, like, I don't like bringing up the injuries. Everyone can do it. I mean, I, I look back at last year's Utah, and it, you know, people love to – Northwestern killed you in the bowl game. Dude, I was talking actually with a, a Ute fan friend about that. Is I was like, yeah, dude, we didn't have – Huntley, Moss, Covey, or Chase Hansen. But everyone doesn't have – so, yeah, you can't bring up injuries. Everybody's yeah. got them. So forget the injury thing. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah. So, okay, so Baylor Romney, you say he looked he looked good, but he didn't look spectacular, you say. Um, so right. who, who's, who's your guy against Utah State? you got two weeks for Jaron Hall to heal up. Um, who, do, who do you got going, Utah State? I, I feel really good about our quarterback situation going into Utah State because of how well Baylor Romney did because that – I'd said a few weeks ago that my impression as a fan was Zach Wilson's great, Jaron Hall's also great, not a huge drop-off there, but then the three and four quarterbacks, there is a drop-off there, and I didn't see that. So I like the fact that I'm comfortable with either one. And, and circling back to kind of what I always say, I've seen maybe 1% of what the coaching staff has seen. I, I trust them that they've seen not only all the games, all the, they've seen the games multiple times, they've seen the practices, they've seen the high school highlight tapes. Like They really know the quarterbacks, and, and I don't. So based on what I've seen, I'm, I'm comfortable with whoever they put in. Uh, yeah. And it, it's tough because you say, well, Jaron Hall didn't do anything wrong, he didn't do anything to lose his job. But you know what? If the team is gelling with Baylor, if the receivers are, are connecting with him better – I'm okay if they shake it up. I don't, you know, your job's never guaranteed, Dude, but you got to evaluate I, that on a lot of things. I hate that adage, you can't lose your job to injury, because I look back at, like, personal example, 2003, Brett Elliott, Utah quarterback, breaks his wrist, in comes backup Alex Smith, and from that point on, he was uh -huh. freaking incredible. You don't just bench Alex right. Smith because Brett Elliott broke his wrist. I mean, Alex Smith was unstoppable from that point on. I think he lost yeah. one more game, one game total after that point um, – uh, so yeah, so you don't just bench him because of injury. So I, I think though right. it's it's impossible. You'd be crazy at this point to try and make any prediction 
of what happens next right. game because the way this season's gone for you, man. I mean, you're yeah. going to Utah State. We know Utah State, being the little brother in this state, hates us both, and they want nothing uh. more than to beat one of the two of us. They've got you guys at their place. It's going to be a hornet's nest as far as energy and emotion go. So who knows what happens? Who knows? I mean, I literally it, I, I could not even attempt to make a prediction of what happens there. A few things that I heard in post game and that I saw on Twitter and things like that bring me a little bit of hope here. One is uh, Kalani was asked after the game, hey, it looks like there was a little bit of a coaching change. Did the play calling change? Now, people on Twitter who typically know things but don't like reveal their sources and things like that, they had mentioned during the game that play calling is different. And I was trying, I was like following up with a couple of them, like, all right, what's the specifics? And nobody said anything. But the visual you could tell, Jeff Grimes was not in the box, he was on the sideline. Oh, really? And then, um, yeah, so that was a visible change. And then at one point during uh, when Boise State had the ball, they just show Kalani on the sideline, and he's there motioning with his hands. He's signaling in a play to the defense. So they think, okay, so there's maybe some a little bit more of a smoking gun that the, the offensive and defensive play callers have changed duties. Now, Kalani, and this is why we love him. He's not going to sit there and say, yeah, this is the changes we made. This is what we've done, and this is why. Yeah, He doesn't want to make anybody feel better, call anybody out, or say this is the reason we lost to that game or that team. All he said was, it's a collaborative effort. We've been doing, he says, yeah, we've, we've all been calling in the plays or something like that. And so you say, okay, so Kalani did not deny it. He's just saying this is a, a group effort. We call plays as a group. But you see those two changes. You say, okay, Aaron Roderick's the only one upstairs on the microphone looking at the whole field. Grimes is down lower. And he, he pointed out, he said Grimes can connect with his offensive line better from the field, which you think about that, and if you try and read into it and speculate what he's actually saying, Jeff Grimes was LSU's offensive line coach. If he has been secretly kind of relegated to that position now and he's BYU's offensive line coach, that is awesome because BYU's offensive line did amazing this game, I mean, especially given the the lack of experience that we now have due to injuries, if Grimes has taken the reins of that offensive line, that's really cool. Now, if he's okay doing that in the future, that's another question. There's probably going to be some offseason shakeups here, but where we are right now, I'm happy with that. And so that's the thing. There, you could say, yeah, this is a kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of team where we never know what's coming. But I feel like they felt the pressure. They felt that they were on the hot seat. And there have been changes made. And so we can see some evidences of that based on what I just said. Uh, the other thing, oh, I had another thought. What was it? It's gone. Uh, probably about how um, you wish you were a Utes fan. I'm guessing that was your <laughs> I, tell you, I had a dream years and years and years ago that I was coming out of the tunnel and I was wearing Utah, like a Utah football helmet and everything. Like I was one of the, I was a player and I was running out of the tunnel and I was like, man, this is exciting, like exciting atmosphere. And like, I was pumped up and I was all jacked up. And then I was like, this is just so, I woke up and was like, I feel wrong. You know, it feels, it feels dirty. Yeah. Well, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. based on your age, you would have been on the Fiesta Bowl team with Urban Meyer. So that'd have been a good, that'd have been pretty awesome experience for you right all right remember when tony no no this is important this is like the most important part (laughs) you remember when tony parker was dating um eva longoria yeah and the spurs won the the title the nba title yeah so i had a dream i got drafted and i was i was like the number 30 pick or whatever in the nba draft like first round still but i went to the spurs who had just won the championship and I started dating um, Nicolette Sheridan, and like the four of us would go on double dates all the time. It was like the coolest <laughs> little thing. And I was, that is I was important. single at the Thank time. You. I, yeah, 
that is important. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's that enriches our lives. That's good. What a dream, huh? Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So, at what point in the game did you think? Because you you said you started off thinking, okay, we're gonna get killed, or we can make it close. At what point in the game did you think, all right, we're gonna we can win this. We're gonna win this. In fact, actually. I think you had a tweet yeah. that said Max Hall, we're gonna win this dot gif or something, <laughs> right? I think I remember. I think that. that was early on. I think that was early on, and I was doing that just because it's like, hey, you know, this is possible. Because that's the thing that Max Hall moment we all remember because the Oklahoma game that that came on, we were not supposed to beat Oklahoma. We were supposed to be destroyed. Max Hall running in to the locker room at halftime, yelling at the fans, "We're gonna win this game!" Like. That's a defining moment in the program history because he was saying that to the fans running into halftime, and we were all starting to believe it at that moment. We came out second half, took care of business, and it happened. And so that's kind of that's the timing of that is the moment that you think we might be able to do something I did not think we were able to do. That's when we always invoke the ghost of Max Hall and say, hey, hey, we, we might do this. We're going to win this game. And so I think that was maybe second quarter. It wasn't until the third quarter, though, that I really felt like this is going to happen. And the reason is all year we have been out-adjusted. The coaches, will, everyone will go in the locker room, make their adjustments, do this and that. Third quarter has been a disaster for BYU. In all of our losses, it's, been, it's the third quarter is when it gets away from us, the wheels fall off, the other team's offense will do whatever they want, our defense will just start letting things happen that shouldn't happen. And so the third quarter, when I saw that the exact opposite had happened, that we started pulling out our trick plays and we're just kind of imposing our will, I thought, this, this is real. This, this is real. This is not my dream. This is actually going to happen. So it wasn't until the third quarter I felt good about it. And then, of course, during the fourth quarter, you start thinking, ah, they're getting conservative. They're playing not to lose. They're getting into their prevent defense. And then, my goodness, Kalani with the decision to go for it on that fourth down. Oh, man, that was so amazing. Because so, yeah. my wife, she came into the room and was like, oh, man, fourth down, we, are we going to go for it? And I was like, no, no way. We got to punt it. We have to punt it. We have to. And they came out and went for it. <laughs> it was like, wow, that worked. It was amazing. Yeah, it's one of those calls where if it did, it did work, it was amazing. If it didn't, you would have given Boise State the ball in the what the thirty five, right? Yeah. With with uh, what was it? Two minutes to go? Is that what it was? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I would have been like, "What are you thinking, you idiot?" Uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah. So anyway, and, you, and okay. you live and die with those decisions. The same program, Boise State Bronco, at one point in time said, "We're going for two. Decide we're going to win it right here. We're not going to overtime." Backfired. Didn't work out for us. The thing is, you live and die with those decisions, and I. This is the thing. I don't criticize coaches for the play calling decisions because when they work, they're they're great, and when they don't, they don't. The, my my biggest criticism with this coaching staff has been the preparation for the games, the players looking like they're ready to go, things like that. But gotcha. Anyway. It's, it'll definitely be interesting moving forward to see how it turns out because right now things are okay. Things are pointing up. You've got a good win to come off of. You feel like you've made changes that will point you in the right direction. But what if, dude, what if next game it's another stinker and Utah State destroys you? Then it's like you're back to yeah. sc- ah, fire everybody. I, I f- this sucks. Yeah, exactly. Well, they know they're on a short leash, uh, a short leash and that, that won't surprise them. I, I really feel like if it's ugly against Utah State, uh, I'm not opposed to in-season official changes, not just saying you're reassigned to this dude, you're reassigned to that. Kick people off the staff. Say, all right, you're 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 not contributing, you're, you're not here. One more thing from the Boise State game, though, that I, I love this, and i got to point this out. One of the players pointed out, you remember that this may be the play of the game. Romney takes a snap. It's like a third and goal from like the six, maybe, and 
we look like we're just gonna hand it to the running back, punch it in, you know, kind of a, a large, big formation. What do they call it? The jumbo. It wasn't the jumbo package with the different personnel, but you know, we we were formated like we were just gonna run it right in. He acts like he either dropped the ball or was doing a low handoff. It was brilliantly executed. This is what I love in football: the, the details, the small things. When the quarterback can say, "All right, I'm gonna run four steps backward with the ball six inches off the ground like an idiot," because then everybody on the defensive line that can't see the ground, see over the people, they just see my head down low. They all think I dropped the ball. So he takes several steps backward, really low to the ground, then pops up, chucks it to. Uh, Bushman, who just escaped everybody. So that play, one of the players tweeted out, they found that play in film on film because Boise State successfully ran that play against BYU three years ago. That is really? the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Which And then that got me thinking, okay, why are – like when you watch film on a team, you don't go back three years. Those are different people, which tells me I think Kalani had one of his graduate assistants say, all right, go back five years, eight years, whatever – I want you to flag every gadget play and every trick play and put together a, a supercut of that so that the team's ready, which is, is a brilliant thing. Like, and I don't know if that happened. I think that's how they found something like that, though, is the team probably watched something like that together and said, these are the things we need to be watching out for. Took it from their own playbook, ran it against them, and it worked, and it was a pivotal point in the game. I love that so much. Like, I want to oh. hug that play. Yeah, dude, because that, that shows you the preparation these coaches put. You know, we, we work our jobs during the week, and then on Saturdays we're armchair quarterbacks, right? Oh, why they do this? Mm-hmm. But all week, hours and hours a day, they're freaking game planning. They're stressing. They're they're doing So that's that's cool. I like that story. Um, all right, man. So yeah. moving forward, Utah has uh, Cal this week. Um, Cal is terrible offensively. Lot, their starting quarterback's been out for several weeks. Their backup is terrible, mm-hmm. and – the rumor is he's not even going to play. It's going to be their third string guy, and and their offense is just miserable. They lost to Oregon State. I honestly, I honestly would be not not be surprised if our defense held them to less than a hundred yards this game because they're just yeah. their, their offense is terrible. And our defense, like you said, is freaking legit. It's the best defense we've ever had. Mm-hmm. There's eight NFL guys that start on this defense, and that's not being hyperbolic. That's fact, man. They're just we're uh, loaded. I believe it, yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if Cal did not even cross the freaking 50 unless, you know, mm-hmm. like against Arizona State, there's turnovers inside the on the other side. Um, so I, I expect this week, I expect – I'm not even sure if Huntley's going to play. Huntley got injured in the game, as I said, and he came back and played. But you could tell he just didn't look right. He was hobbling around. Yeah, yeah. When he was walking off the field, he was walking slowly, wasn't kind of jogging, and he just didn't look right. So he didn't even finish the game. He came out again and didn't even play the fourth quarter. They had the backup in. And so um, nobody knows what's going to happen. I personally, if he's if he's questionable, I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't play him mm-hmm. because last year Jason Shelley showed us he's good enough to win games, even though he's technically not the second-string quarterback. I think with, with push comes to shove, he'd start. So I'd start Jason Shelley, and all we need is three points, in my opinion, to win this game. Cal's not <laughs> going to do a freaking thing against us. So I, I think it's going to be if, – if, if Huntley does not play, then uh, it'll be something like a, a 21-0 to zero game. Utah win 21 or 24 to zero and smoke Cal. And then that sets up the following week. The season basically depends on the following week. And we'll talk about it next week, but it's Washington. It's at Washington. Washington is obviously not as good as they were last year, but it's a road game. They're a good team. They've had our number. If we can get by Washington, we've got this thing locked Mm -hmm. up because the last three games are there are three of the worst teams in the conference, two of them at home. And so the season all comes down to 
the week after next because I don't think USC is going to lose many more, one, maybe two more. And so we need to win out basically. Um, and so the season will come out, come down to next week, but we'll talk about that next week as we build up for the fall. Well, it, worth pointing out too, that same day that Utah's at Washington, USC's at Oregon. Is that right? Right. Yes, sir. Well, so Oregon's at USC. It's, it's Oregon, Oregon at USC. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that yeah. day could be so, huge yeah. for Utah. If we win that and Oregon beats USC, at that point we'll be 8-1. and one. Oregon will be 8-1. and one. It'll be like, okay, basically it's Utah and Oregon death match, death march to the Pac-12 right. title game. But that both those things so, have to go that way. Just not very long ago, Cal looked legit when they beat Washington. Are you saying so? Since their quarterback went down, have they had have they beat anybody? No, dude. They've been they've they've gone. They're four and three now. They've lost I think three okay. in a row. Yeah. So their quarterback went down, okay. and they lost to Oregon State. They lost to I want to say UCLA. Um, anyway, they've lost uh, they lost uh, Arizona okay. State. But the, but yeah, their quarterback oh. went down, and they've been terrible since then because they they were pretty good. Well, they yeah. were ranked in the top 20. They, had, they just came off a road win at Ole Miss, but their quarterback goes down, and their offense is abysmal. I'm talking it's abysmal. It's terrible. Yeah. And then you match it up against our defense, it's going to be a bloodbath. Uh, but their D is pretty good. They have, a, they have a superstar linebacker, Evan Weaver, who's – he gets like tw- – I mean, he had like 24 tackles in one game. Like, he's incredible. Um, this is pre- uh, at Utah? Yeah, at Sorry. Utah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, okay. and, and Evan Weaver was the preseason Pac-12 player, defensive player of the year, I think. If, or, mm. yeah. Anyway, um, so so they've got a decent defense, but their offense is just abysmal. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a, a lopsided win for Utah either way. No matter who starts at quarterback, in my opinion. How how worried are you that it will be one of those weather is a factor, freakish turnover type games where their defense punches it in twice and that's enough to win the game? Well, weather won't be a factor as far as right now. It's it's not supposed to even be cloudy. I mean, we've had we've had terrible weather games at home this year. Our first two games were like a hundred thousand degrees, and the last two were rainy, cold, and wet. So we're due for a decent weather game. But it's gonna be it's gonna be fifty degrees, and it's gonna be clear. So weather shouldn't be a factor. But like I said, our okay. defense is good enough where they won't score much, hardly at all. And I think our offense is 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 much better than it's been in years past. Even without Tyler Huntley, I think we still score teens or in the twenties without Tyler Huntley. So I'm not. I, I don't think it's gonna be. A, I don't think they got a chance. We're we're favored right. by 18 points, and as you know nice. firsthand, 18 points is an absolute <laughs> butt kicking, right? You know that. Yeah, I want to say yes, it is, but at the same time, there was a point in the third quarter against Boise State. BYU was up 18, and it didn't feel like enough. So it's it's still uh, those are still two evenly matched teams, in my opinion. Unless that 18 points is at the end of the game. Then, then it's a total mismatch, right? I, I was still nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so yeah. yeah so BYU was going to beat Utah roll. next year. What? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't count on it until you do it, man. I mean, how could you at any point be confident in that, dude? It's been, it's uh, been late in the year. Can't. It's been early in the year. It's been backup quarterbacks. It's been starting quarterbacks. It's been new quarterbacks. It just, it's here's, just, the thing, here's the thing that always sucks when people try to project way too far out in the future. Like preseason this year, it was like, oh, yeah, they've got all good players this year, and, and our players are new. But next year, watch out. And it's like there's so many things that change during the year. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's yeah. it's tough. It is. And the thing about next year is is 
Utah's got most of our offense back. I mean, obviously we lose Huntley and Moss, who are two uh-huh. huge, more important cogs. But we return yeah. our entire offensive line. We return most of our receivers, most of our backup running backs who've shown that they're good. Um, and so, I mean, we just need a, a good quarterback. We've got the, the Texas transfer rising who's going to be competing for it. Shelley's back mm-hmm. who – showed when he's starting he's good enough to beat teams so i don't know anyway we'll talk about next yeah. year later so byu's got to buy yes any 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 closing thoughts on byu before we wrap this up hey in in your opinion is there any chance at all like zero percent or one percent that morgan scally coaches byu football at some point in his life I don't know, dude. I, we know money talks, right? I mean, yeah. You look at you look at Kyle Whittingham. He was a BYU player. You didn't expect he'd be a Utah lifer as coach, right? Um, we do know Morgan uh-huh. Scally's been. I mean, he's he's not even your typical just former U player. He was born and bred for it. His his grandpa right. played at BYU. He grew up being just a diehard Ute fan in the shadows of Utah. He played at BYU. He's never. Or sorry, sorry. He played at Utah. Grew up in the shadows of Utah. Um, He's never coached anywhere else besides Utah. You know, he's just been he went from to graduate assistant to position coach to defensive coordinator. It's in his blood. I think personally he's the next Utah head coach. So, I think uh-huh. even if BYU opens up say next year, I think he waits it out and takes the Utah job cuz he is an awesome defensive coordinator. He's awesome. Yeah. You know, he's he's granted he's got great players, but he's a good coordinator. He calls the right stuff. I think he's the head coach in waiting personally. So, I think he may if if it came down to it, if he didn't have an avenue to be the Utah head coach, let's say Kyle Whittingham was in his 40s and he knew that he would never have a chance there, I I could see him taking the BYU job. But I, I just think he's I think he's going to wait it out and become the Utah coach. So I put I put it less than five percent. That being said, I don't know his thought process. This is just my perspective, obviously. So who knows? Yeah. See, I I've just heard his name floated out there, and every time I've heard it, I've thought they don't know Morgan Scally, which I don't want to be like Mister Name Dropper here. I know Morgan Scott, or I, I did. It was a lifetime ago, but uh, I've seen him as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints up close, which which tells me I think one underrated aspect of him as a person, just seeing the way he can talk to people and interact with people and, and who he is, he has got to be a phenomenal recruiter. Like, I imagine him sitting is, in the yeah. home with the parents. I mean, he's he's not just like salesmanship he's a sincere guy he's genuine like he's he's really a, a truly a, a great person but uh, you're right i mean he's he highland high school i believe just right yes, there sir. not too far from campus yep. uh and it was a running back i think he was also part of that forever strong rugby team that like did all these amazing things like he had a rugby background and a football yeah. background uh, but yeah, his entire life has been Utah. Not only pro Utah, but like he's never at any point in his life thought BYU is pretty good or or not. You know, like when you're that far hardcore, Utah is kind of yeah. like you. Do you at ever any point be like, yeah, I like BYU? No, no exactly. Not really. I agree, dude. It would never happen. I mean, and, and I think he's deep the same down, way. you're deep down. I I think you would admit like there's a lot of good things that come from having BYU as an institution that make your life a little bit better in other areas like Sundays and things like that, like maybe their their faculty of religious studies and things like that that brings some knowledge and in, in things that matter to you otherwise. But as far as BYU athletics, no, you, you you're not you don't think the world is a better place because of them. 
Oh, dude, I spend I spend a good majority of my time on speeches.byu.edu, man. I stream. There's mm-hmm. thousands upon thousands of talks there. At least one a day I stream from that very website. So, yeah, BYU enriches my life spiritually as an institution, but as a football That's team. That's a good I place freaking, to end. Let's I call it here. I hate their guts, uh, we'll and I hope they never win again. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I think Scally's the same type of way. You know, I think he's the same type of way. He, But I don't know. I think he's got a future as a head coach, as a good one, and I think it's at Utah. So I don't. I think at this yeah. point I don't think he, he leaves because Witt's got, Witt's got at most five, six years left at most. You know, Scally can hang on that long, and I think he, if he did hang on that long, he's a shoo-in. He's like Whittingham. Whittingham, when Meyer left, he was the obvious choice for head coach. I think, I think Scally would be the same way. Yeah, I, I would say if BYU ever made a run at him, this is how I could see it playing out. Scally would then say, hey, athletic director, I've got a legit offer on the table for this much money. I'd rather not, but let's make – I want some assurances. At that point, I, I could see him becoming a head coach in waiting kind of a thing, and, yeah. and I think that would be great for Utah. I think he would be a great head coach going forward. So I, I, I don't see it happening. Uh, BYU I so maybe too. takes a run at him, but I don't think he accepts. I think I – think- you got to make him the head coach based on the fact that he's been under Wit and Wit's been here for 20 years and it's an easy transition. He understands the culture, he understands how to recruit to it, he understands how to win to it. He played for Urban Meyer, he played for Whittingham. He's a great fit whereas you take a chance, sure maybe you go outside, sure maybe you can get an Urban Meyer, capture lightning in a bottle an up and comer who can be dominant for a couple of years. But dude, I think the risk of doing that far outweighs the reward of knowing you have a solid replacement to just keep Kyle Whittingham's system going and keep the ball right. rolling, you know. And in fact, I think uh. he could take it up a notch because, like you said, he's a little more charismatic than Wit. He's 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 in my opinion, he can relate better to some of these younger people. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm making a bunch of, um, you know, I'm supposing a bunch of stuff that I don't know. But I, I feel like I feel like Scally would be a great head coach. I think it'll be great here, and and he'll you know. But let's see. By the time he retires, that we'll have what 29 is coming in a row. Mm-hmm. Against BYU, against BYU. <laughs> or what? Something like that. Maybe close. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's tough to say going that far out. I think yeah, something will something will happen. Some year, <laughs> one of these years, it will. It, it's it'll it's be good some be, kind of a good. like. It's I'm thinking there'll be a new now. strain of of disease, like a, a like a Spanish flu thing. But maybe do you know they call them STIs now? They're not STDs anymore. Really? Something something will like wipe out half the Utah football team for like a few weeks and BYU will happen to play them then and be like, "Ha, gotcha." So what does STI what does the I stand for cuz sexually transmitted infection. disease? Infection. Oh, yeah, really? it's an infection. Yeah, cuz it's like the definition of infection versus disease. It's like I think infection's a little more accurate, but, huh. but yeah, I I learned that from my 7th grader's health homework where he was like going through his health stuff and I'm like, "STI? What?" Huh. Yeah, that's what yeah. they are. Have to up, update it's yeet. My yeet is also the new word. Say yeet more. Oh, dude, you guys are not yeet. I know we're we're working with the young men. I hear sick and I hear yeet about fifty times a week. Oh, dude, that's <laughs> so sick. Oh, yeet, yeet. It's it's ridiculous. But what do you do? <laughs> I was trying to get my sons. I was like, hey, I need to update my vocab. What do you guys say for cool? That's not cool. And and they wouldn't tell me anything. They were like, why do you want to do this? I'm like, so I don't sound like an old man. And my <laughs> my ten year old was like. Dad, I think you're pretty cool. Like, you don't have to worry. Don't worry, Dad. Like, you're okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks, thanks, son. That means a lot. Yeah. Meanwhile, my my 13 year old, I've got a teenage daughter now. She thinks I'm the biggest dork in the world. But I I <laughs> exacerbate it. I picked her and her friends up yesterday, and I turned on Justin Bieber before I got there. And I had it oh, nice. in the car to try to you know pretend I was cool, and she knows I'm I'm not. So. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I guess that'll oh, I guess awesome. that'll wrap it up. We will we will uh, grace your eardrums again next week after the Utes hopefully move to seven and one, setting up a huge yes. battle with the Washington Huskies with almost everything on the line at that point. So, yeah. All right. All right. We'll see you, We'll see you next week. Go Utes. Go Cougs.